Anybody enjoying those basketball games last night? Wow. Incredible basketball games and um, somebody really enjoyed them. In our house, my wife is a Michigan State fan, went there for two years, so um, we were rooting for Michigan State, but they had an incredible season, and wow, Virginia, did they pull one out? That was incredible. Um, Kyle Guy and those shots, and, and then to walk up to the free throw line and to hit three. I loved his interview after the game. Uh, they asked him, what was it like to walk up to the free throw line and to hit three? No, you, you can make three to one of them all. He said, if you want me to be honest, just, I was terrified. He said, but I was confident I could make them. Uh, good perspective. We better move on. Um, as we've been walking through the book of Habakkuk, it's been, it's been good for all of us. And we realize that there are seasons in our lives that are very difficult, very challenging, and very hard. So how do we navigate through them? And Habakkuk has given us a tool. And hopefully it's been a great tool for you as it has for me. Because life is full of difficult moments. And there are moments in our lives when we don't know that we can make it. And there are moments in our lives where we are overwhelmed even to the point of death, that Paul said. So how do you navigate through there? When hardships come, we need to, to turn to Jesus because he is all that we need. The reality is this, is there's a gospel out there, a twisted gospel, that prosperity gospel that says this. If, if you know Christ and, and you have enough faith and you have enough belief and trust that you will be healthy and wealthy all the time. It's a twisted gospel because you can know Christ and you can have faith and you can know him well. And there are seasons in our lives that are very difficult. It's in those seasons that we grow and learn and trust in Jesus. Yes, God can do the miraculous. Yes, God can heal deadly diseases. Yes, God can give us perfect jobs. Yes, God can save our lost children from their rebellious ways. Yes, God can make your business soar. Yes, God can give you favor in, in, in a job that you've been praying about. And yes, God can give you an abundance of wealth. And God can do immeasurably more than, than anything we ask or imagine. But there are seasons in life where they're very challenging. And so how do we navigate through that when we're praying and we're not receiving with what we want? As I processed this again, two weeks ago was my mom's uh, 80th birthday. And I praise God for that. And as I was walking through that season, it was very, very, very challenging. But knowing that God is with her, my mom has Alzheimer's, so she wasn't even aware that it was her 80th birthday. And, and to think, for me to think that mom's in this home, and she's sleeping in other beds and trying to make it through life, there's a part of me as I've been talking with God, like, Lord, she's lived a good life. God, she loves you. She, she served you, and she knows you. Can you just take her home? But God hasn't chosen to take her home. So there's a seasons for me where I need to trust and believe and know that God has my mom's best interests in mind and there's purpose behind it. But it doesn't take away the emotion and, and struggle of seeing that. So how do you walk through those hard times like that? As we close out this book, Habakkuk has had questions and he's given them to God. He's had this personal time of lamenting with God. God answers and says... Here's the answer. I'm going to wipe out God's people. I'm going to send in the Babylonians, North Korea, into America. And this is my answer. And it wasn't what Habakkuk was hoping would happen. And so as we walk through this time, now he responds. God responds. And finally he gets to the end. And he has this prayer with God. 
And God gives him this vision, and he wraps up all his thoughts, all his emotions, all these things that he doesn't fully understand with this. Grab your Bibles and turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And if you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will put one in your hand. And turn to Habakkuk chapter 3. And we're going to read verses 1 through 15. 1 through 15. Would you stand with me as you're finding that? And let's read God's word together. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. A prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shiganath. Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens and his praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise, rays flash from his hand, where his power was hidden. Plague went before him. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood and shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The ancient mountains crumbled and the age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress, the dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode your horses and your chariots to victory, you uncovered your bow, you called for many arrows, you split the earth with rivers, the mountains saw you and ride, torrents of water swept by, the deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth, and in anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of the wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. With his own spear you pierced his head. When his warriors stormed out to scatter us, gloating as though about to devour the wretched, you were in hiding. You trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Let me have a seat. You can see Habakkuk having this prayer. He cries out. He goes to God in prayer. He takes it to prayer. And then God reminds him in this vision of the Exodus account. He reminds him of the Joshua account where the sun stood still. He reminds him of the crossing of the Red Sea. He reminds him of all the things that he has already done so that he wouldn't forget them. So he's walking through he prays, and then he has this moment with God. God speaks to him in a vision, and he begins to recall the greatness and the power of God. Everything that he has always or already has completed and already has done. He's speaking to him in a personal way. And so as he opens up, as he gets to the end, Habakkuk says this in his prayer in verse 2. Lord, I've heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them. In our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember what? What's he say? Mercy. Fame is a secondary response to something that has already been done. It's not like you have firsthand knowledge of it. You've heard the story. Someone has told you the story. So he says, I've heard of your fame. And not only do I hear of it, I know about it from from." Other people telling me. And so he says, I, I know that to be the God can do those kind of things. So I stand in all of them to repeat them in our day. So as he stands at the end and God says, I'm going to send the Babylonians through, but then I'm going to judge them. He stands before God and prays, God, I'm going to ask that you would 
send mercy instead of sending wrath. God, I'm going to ask that you relent of this plan that you've set into motion. God, I want you to do something so that you get greater glory. Please repeat what you've already done in the past. Part of the reason I believe that he wants God to do this is because his people and the message of God and the, and the stories of God were facing extinction. God, it's been so long since we've seen these kind of things. This group of people right here, they need it. I need it. We need it for our faith. So please, God, don't let what happened in Judges chapter 2 and verse 10, where a whole generation grew up, kids and grandkids who knew nothing of God or what he had done. And so he pleads, Lord, I know you told us that you're going to send the Babylonians to destroy and plunder, but please, God, in your wrath, remember mercy. God, I know we deserve this, but I'm asking, God, that you be a merciful God and come through. It's an honest conversation because he already knows what he's done. And he's standing, he's saying, do in our day what you did in the Exodus. Give us dry ground where there's flooded waters. Let the sun stand still. God, do you still do this? And if you do, show our people that this is the kind of God. Because if they see that kind of God, I believe Habakkuk's thinking that they'll trust in you and they'll turn from their ways. It's the heart of a father. It's the heart of a leader. It's the heart of a shepherd longing to see his people trust in him. This Friday in our staff meeting, on Fridays we get together as a staff and, and we have a praise time. And so we, we offer praises Maybe what happened that week, maybe what happened in your family, what, maybe what happened today or yesterday. And so before we get our day going, we meet in my office and, and we have a praise time. And so I pulled out the book, The Insanity of God, and by Nick Ripkin. By the way, read this book, fantastic book of a man who found himself in Somalia and then he went to persecuted countries and interviewed underground people in churches. And, and I read two stories of how God came through and as we sat there, it's like, one of these stories was there was a group of five men who didn't know Christ, who didn't know Jesus, Muslims, and God had spoken to them that they needed to find a blue book. And so they searched all over the place, and one guy said he walked into a, a, a Muslim bookstore, and there were thousands of books on the shelf, and on this shelf, he walked to the shelf, and there was one blue book, and he grabbed it, pulled it out, and it was the word of God in his language. And, and as we sat there, we said, can God still work that way today? Another story was where... God had spoken to this group of people that there was this man coming and you need to talk to him and he'll tell you about Jesus. And, and he, he's the first white man to get off the plane. So just go to the airport, look for a plane, and the first white man that walks off, introduce yourself and say, God sent me. And Nick Ripkin was that guy. And we, does God still speak like that? And Habakkuk is saying, Lord, do what you did during the Exodus. Do it now. Yesterday morning... I was up early and I wanted to come into the office and, um, and spend some time working in the office. And so I also wanted to get a haircut. And so I, as I got up, I think, oh, I could get one after I leave the office or I can go before. And, and so as I was sitting there, I thought, oh, I'll just grab my phone and I'll go to the app that's on my phone. And there's two places I can normally go to and I'll see if, if there's availability. So I looked at my app and the one app said zero minutes. I'll go there. So I, I clicked on zero minutes and... And I know there was an opening. And so I'm driving to get my hair cut. It's around 8. 
and, uh, to get my hair cut, and I walked into the, 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 the haircut place. As I walk in, it was just me. No one else was there, and there's this lady behind the counter, and when I walked in, she began to cry. I thought, hmm, that's the kind of effect I have on people. A, <laughs> there it is. She started to cry, and, was, and I, I didn't recognize her, and, and so I know in those moments, you don't speak, you just listen. And then she said these words. She said, you will not believe this, Pastor Jim. I, I didn't recognize her, and she says, I was up early this morning. She said, I said, well, tell me, tell me, what's going on? She said, this week, she said, it's been a hard week. She said, my, my daughter's been in the hospital. She, she's had seizures. She's never had them before. And she's continually having these seizures. And she's been in the hospital. And we just brought her home yesterday. And she said, I don't know what to do. And she said, I've never faced anything like this. She said, I haven't been in church in a long time. And, and she said, even on the way here, she said, I decided that I would listen to a message from Grace Community Church. She said, I'm in a car. I'm driving here. And I'm, I'm listening on the podcast. And it's a message that encouraged my heart. And then she said, I... I knew I wanted to get back to church, and I was concerned about my daughter. I knew she needed prayer, and I needed prayer. And she thought, she said, I just said, oh, I, I wish I could see Pastor Jim today. Yeah. Praise God. Praise God. So I walked into that. It's like, yes, Lord, you can work this way today. You do hear your people. And when they cry out, and so I sat in her chair, and I just heard her pour out, and I looked at her and I said, do you realize how much God loves you? Do you realize how special you are to God? That he set this up? I said, I could have went at a different time and I could have went to the other place. And, 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 but he wanted you to know that he's real. That he loves you. And he cares about you. And I prayed for her and, and as I walked away, and the joy of the Lord was on her face and spoke some encouragement from God's word. You see, God can do those things today, and, and Habakkuk knew that. He's saying, Lord, in your wrath, give us mercy. Please, remember mercy, God. You see, he didn't lose hope. He just realized that God was the only hope. The truth is this. We struggle with wrath and the justice of God, but we love mercy, don't we? Wrath for them Mercy for me. If God chose to send us all to hell, let me tell you something. He would be just by doing that because we deserve hell. But because of his great mercy and grace, Jesus came. And through the blood of Jesus on the cross and that free gift by faith, we receive unconditional mercy and love and salvation for eternity. So Habakkuk's looking and he's thinking about the enemy trouncing through his land. And even more, he's probably thinking, they'll never believe God if, if you let the Babylonians come through. He doesn't deny that they don't deserve it either. But the truth is this, in all of our cases, if all you have is a God of the good times and you don't have the God of the Bible, God's not a... A God who just lets everything be healthy and wealthy. He walks us through the hard times. There will be seasons of life when you don't know if you can make it. And listen, you need to release your hands and not try to control it. Say, God, I'm going to do this. I'll make sure this happens. 
I'll make sure they don't do this and they don't get this. No, release your hands and let God be God and just snuggle up beside him and say, God, I need you. You do what's best for me. Nick Ripkin, in his book, The Insanity of God, interviews some Chinese underground believers. Watch how they respond to hardship in their lives. He does this interview, and he has this interview with them, and he says this. He says, I remember how my very first Christian contacts back in southern China had explained the government's primary motivation for persecuting believers. It was not that the communists opposed or even cared about what Jesus taught his followers. The communists were not concerned with what Christians believed. Their concern was something quite different. Any commitment to something or someone other than the state was considered a serious threat to the government authority and control. What they cared most about was political allegiance. And they understood clearly the threat from those who declared the lordship of Christ. A lordship that would not be shared with the state or with any other power. He said, by the end of my time in China, my understanding had grown. And my understanding would grow even more after I met and interviewed yet another group of leaders representing another major house church movement. At my very last stop in China, he said this, I ask whether, when, and how the oppressed could truly threaten a totalitarian oppressor. They offered this scenario in response. They said this, the security police regularly harass a believer who owns the property where a house church meets. The police say, you have got to stop these meetings. If you do not stop these meetings, we will take your house and we will throw you out into the street. Then the property owner will probably respond, do you want my house? Do you want my farm? Well, if you do, then you need to talk to Jesus because I gave this property to him. The security police will not know what to make of that answer. So they will say, we don't have any way to get to Jesus, but we certainly can get to you. When we take your property, you and your family will now have nowhere to live. And the house church believers will declare, then we will be free to trust God for shelter as well as for our daily bread. If you keep this up, we will beat you the persecutors will tell them. Then we will be free to trust Jesus for healing, the believers will respond. Then we will put you in prison, the police will threaten. By now the believers' response is almost predictable. Then we will be free to preach the good news of Jesus to the captives to set them free. We will be free to plant churches in prison. If you try to do that, then we will kill you, the frustrated authorities will vow. And with utter consistency, the house church believers will reply, then we will be free to go to heaven and be with Jesus forever. That's a perspective that most of us don't understand. And why is that? Because we live in America. And there's this theology that says, if you do this, then you will get that. If you believe and trust and have faith, then bad things will never happen to you. Your marriage won't go south. Your husband won't leave you. Your wife won't leave you. Your kids won't have terminal illnesses. You'll never lose your job. You will always have everything financially to make it 
in even more than what you need. And so Habakkuk is saying, Lord, I recognize that you can do this, and I'm asking that you would do this, but I'm praying to a God who is capable of doing this. But even if you don't, God, I still believe. You see, prayer is our lifeline. Prayer is the relationship that we have with the Father God. It's when we unload our pain, when we unload our infirmities, when we unload our sickness, when we unload our questions, we no longer have to carry them. And God takes them and the burden of that unknown is given to him and we can make it because God can do for us what we can't do for ourselves. Any problem that you and I have, God's got the answer to it. But we got to hand it off to him. You see, what we perceive sometimes as unanswered prayers are often the greatest answers. Our Heavenly Father is far too wise and loves us far too much to give us everything we ask for. Someday we'll thank God for the prayers he didn't answer as much or more as the ones he did. God knows best. We pray as if God's chief objective is our personal comfort. It's not. God's chief objective is his glory. It's building a relationship to elevate God. You see, the will of God is not an insurance plan. It's a daring plan. God is not a state farm agent that can take care of everything that we have. If this happens, then you'll get a new. It doesn't mean that. It just means you get God. You get Jesus. You get the three in one, and that is enough. The comfort and care of the great shepherd. But we don't like that, do we? Like, but God, like, how am I going to make it? God, but they did this to me. And Habakkuk is saying, Lord, you did this. And I believe you can. He still asked. But as we get to the end, you're going to see this impeccable response from this faith-filled man. So he says, replay all the ways he came through before. So he gives him this vision he, in verses 3 to 15. It's all the things that he'd done before. And so we need to do that too. So how do we do that? I always, I'm a proponent of journal, journal, journal. Read God's word. Write it down so you can remember. Because when you get my age, you have a tendency to forget. So just write it down. I love going back and looking through journals and saying, oh, I forgot about that. I, I need to be reminded of that so, so that I know who you are, God. Read God's word, right. Read God's word, right. Read God's word, right. Read God's word, right. Journal, remember what God has done. And so Habakkuk is doing that in this vision. God said, I want you to remember, here it is. I took millions of people across a flooded water. I parted the Red Sea. I stopped the sun for 24 hours. Check that one out, huh? Remember, remember, remember. I love what Habakkuk does here. He reminds himself of what God has already done during the Exodus. He revisits the book. And once we understand who God is, we can sleep better at night. You see, he goes through this list, not because God needed to be reminded, but because Habakkuk needed the reminder, and so do we. Part of the problem is this. Our God isn't big enough in our minds. You see, if we had a bigger view of God, then we would not worry. Hear me out. You would not worry. 
If we had a bigger view of God, we would be stronger in a moment of crisis because God's got our back. If we had a bigger view of God, we would be less tempted to compromise and give in. If we had a bigger view of God, we would not try to control. We are control freaks. Well, God, you haven't come through, so I'm going to make sure on my own, I know it's not going to happen unless I do it. If we had a bigger God, we would stand when no one else was willing to stand. So he's having this vision. Watch what happens to him after this encounter with God. Look at verse 16. Look what it says. He said, I heard and my heart pounded. My lips, what? What's it say? Quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. And my legs, what? What's the word? Trembled. And then he says this, yet I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. You see, he realizes that even though I ask, I recognize, God, that your will be done. And I will wait patiently for this nation called Babylon. And they're going to come through our country. And they're going to wipe us out. But I trust you, God. Even though it doesn't make sense, you know what's best for us. Truth be told, Habakkuk never saw the Exodus kind of account where God's mercy finally came. Because it was 70 years later that King Belshazzar died. But he trusted in the plan of God and he saw it as his perfect plan. You see, when we live this way, we're okay with death. Because when I die, I will receive the greatest gift I can ever receive. And you too. You see, when you know you have Jesus, and when you know your next breath is in the presence of God, the greatest gift that we could ever receive, ever, 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 is when we die. We get to meet the King of kings and Lord of lords and spend eternity. Now that's an eternal gift. Okay. I need an amen over here. You guys are off quiet today. Amen? Like, you're you're nodding, but I don't know if you're believing. Seriously, when you know that, like when you die, that's the best gift you'll ever receive. And when you believe that, you live differently. You hold your hands, palms open. You don't try to control your marriage. You don't kind of control your life. You don't kind of try to control your marriage. You don't kind of control your business. You just say, God, I trust you. I trust you. You've been good to me, and you're going to be good to me even at the end of my life. So he gets through that, and he says he waits patiently, and then he has these words that are just unbelievable. Now think, this is at the end of his lament. This is at the end of all his questions. This is at the end of this vision. This is at the end of his prayer. This is after the woes. He finally gets to the end of this this time with God, and he speaks these words. Look at verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will what? What's the word? Rejoice in the Lord. I will be what? Joyful in God my Savior. 
He says, even though the fridge is empty, even though the job is gone, even though the credit cards are maxed out, even though I'm out of coffee and vanilla creamer, even though the stock market has crashed, and even though Aldi is closed for good, and even though my identity has been stolen by someone in Uganda, and even though my computer has a blue screen, I'm so happy, so very happy. Praise God. Why? Because he still has Christ. And even though I I don't eat, and even though I've lost my job, and even though my house was just repossessed, and even though my mom has Alzheimer's, and even though my pants don't fit me anymore because I haven't eaten well, it's going to be a good day. Woo-hoo! Why? Because God is in control. I'm telling you, you need to hear me today. Some of you are control freaks. Listen, we're that, we're that kind of people. We just are. We're, situation isn't working out like you are, so you're going to make sure you get what you want instead of trusting God to do what he can do and only do for you. So what's he do? He gets, he gets to the end, and he says, I will rejoice. I, I will be joyful. He worships God in the midst of this. Like, imagine, what's your plan after you lost everything? Hey, come over tomorrow night. We're going to get together, and we're going to worship our great God. You see, worship fills the gap from where we are and where God says we will be. Worship reminds us of the promise of God. And as Habakkuk gets to the end of this encounter with God, he elevates God and says, even if everything is taken from me, I still have you, and that's all I want and all I need. Is that you? No, no, Lord, you still need to do this for me. Then, then, then that's all I want and need. No, Lord, I'm going to do this this week so that I get what I want, and then I'll lift your name high. No, no, no. I'm going to share some stuff that's really heavy and hard, but this could be life-changing for all of us. The opposite of worship is idolatry. Hear me out, hear me out. Idolatry is when we use God to get someone or something we value more than him. Idolatry says, God, do this for me. So that I can have this. God, heal her so that I can have. God, reconcile this so that I can have. God, bring them back so that I can have. It's using God to get someone or something that we value. God, if I finally have them and I own this, then it will be good. That's idolatry. Idolatry is when a good thing we want takes the place of God. Please hear me out. There is a twisted theology out there that says when you come to Jesus, he'll give you everything you ask for. So what happens when the Babylonians come marching through your marriage? What happens when the Babylonians come marching through your doctor's report? What happens when the Babylonians come through and take your home? What happens when the Babylonians come through and take your job? What happens then? You know what happens? Here's what happens. Hear me out. We get mad at God because he took my son too early. 
Because he took my wife. Because he took my job. Because he took my investment. Because he, 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 he took something. And we get mad and angry at God and we leave the church for a period of time because we can't believe that God has done something like that to my family and to our people. And so we're mad at God. Listen to me. That's called idolatry. So we end up saying, God, this is not working. And I'm mad at you. Always remember this, Grace. God does not exist to give you your idol. Placing anything above God is idolatry. We say, God, you are not enough. Now hear me out. For some of you, it even happens after he does give you something. So... Oh, God, if we could adopt those children, we could have those children. God, if I could get married and have a wife. God, if I could have that job. God, if I could be the boss of those people. God, if I could have that position. God, give me the the, the speaking role in the play. God, if I could have a starting spot on the sports team. God, give me that. And sometimes the very thing that he gives us doesn't turn out the way we want it to. And we're mad at God. You know why? Because that thing is an idol. To us. You see, we got it, but it's not working like I thought it would, God, and this is what you gave me. You see, we've placed that thing above God. That is idolatry, and it runs rampant in Christian circles. See, here's what I know about our God God exists to be the object of our affection and the center of our devotion. That's it. Yes, he can save your marriage. Yes, he can rescue your kids. Yes, he can heal you of terminal disease. Yes, he can make you flourish financially so that you can give generously. But he doesn't have to, and if he doesn't do that, should not wreck your world and leave you mad and angry at God. See, Habakkuk's getting to the end, and he realized it's not going to get better. It's actually going to get worse. He is going to be hungry. He he will lose his possessions, but he will be glad and worship his sovereign God. Hear me out. Hear me out. Listen, here's how it affects us. I watch it. I see it. And it's unbelievable. Worship unbinds us. It sets us free. It moves us from idolatry to freedom. It fills the gap from frustration to joy. It takes us from our pain to our healer. It strips us of our idols and anger and elevates the glory of God. Idols keep us in bondage. Here's what happens. Watch people worship. Watch men and women who just never sing a word. Some even mad. Well, I can't worship today. It's been a hard week. It's been a hard year, but I'll show up. Listen to me. There's something underneath that you have as an idol, and you are angry. (laughs) You are mad. 
And there's something underneath you're thinking, I deserve better. There's no way I can worship a God that didn't do this for me or a God that did do this for me and it didn't turn out the way I wanted. Doesn't he see where it is happening to me? Doesn't he see my child? Doesn't he understand that it's hard? Doesn't he know that my mom has this? Doesn't he know that my husband left me? And so we stand and we don't worship. Why? Because we believe that that thing that is missing is more valuable than our God. That's idolatry. I'm telling you, church, hear me out. Worship fills the gap from who we are and who God is. It allows us to say, God, like Habakkuk, even though there's no sheep in the pen and no figs on the tree, even though the groceries pantry is empty, and even though my wife left me, God, you are more than them, and I don't need them to love you. So let me ask you something. How's your worship? Well, I can play. I can play, but I don't like to sing. What? God deserves our worship. He deserves it. And some of you, I'm telling you, Some of you, the underlying reason why you don't sing is because you have an idol. You're mad at God because he took your sister. He took your brother. Your mom's got this. Your sister's got this. Your dad's got that. You don't have what you want. That marriage that you were hoping for went to someone else, and you are angry. So it's hard for you to worship. There is no one or anything that deserves worship other than the King of kings and Lord of lords. So he closes out by saying this thing in verse 19. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights for the director of music on my stringed instruments. He makes my feet like the feet. Have you ever watched deer travel on on mountainsides? They have a trail that's about this wide. Have you ever tried to walk on a trail that's about that wide? (laughs) I have. It doesn't work. And so they just walk their way on slippery slopes, and they make their way. And during this time, there were plenty of them, and, 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 and the men and women could see them, and they would scale the mountains, and they would never slip. Why? Because they were deer. And he says, he makes our feet on treacherous places, hard places, not slip. Why? Because he is with us. Inward peace does not depend on outward prosperity. Did you hear me? I can worship God even though when I don't understand. And my feet will never slip because I have faith. And I know that my God knows what's best for the situations that I face in my life. I believe this with all my heart. Real men worship God. Can I speak to men? Some of you haven't lifted your voice in years to God. We say things like this. Well, I can play an instrument and sing, but I can't sing. It has nothing to do with singing. It's words that acknowledge that God is God. He wants us to make a joyful noise to the Lord. Women, some of you... Walk in, and it's been a hard week, and you base your worship, and men too, you base your worship on how your week has been. Listen, worship fills the gap. 
between where we're at and where God says he will take us. Yes, I will lift you high in the lowest valley. Yes, I will bless your name. Yes, I will sing for joy when my heart is heavy. All my days, yes, I will. Why? Because our God deserves praise. Oh, Lord, help us today. I pray, God, that that our praise and our worship would give you greater glory. God, we're here to make you famous, not us famous. And God, if we have things in our lives that we value more than you, then I pray that you would strip us of our idols. I pray, God, that nothing today would stand between us and you and when it comes to worship. I pray that we would open our mouths and we would sing. And God, for some of us, you've even given us ways to express, and we have hands, and, and we have arms, and we'll use in football auditoriums, and, and we, we love when our team wins, and we'll, we'll shout, and we'll cheer, and we'll holler, and we'll scream, but when it comes to shout, and cheer, and holler, and scream for you, we're silent. Oh, God, may we never place anything in our lives above you, and may we worship as if you are the great an awesome God that you are. Yes, I will. Yes, I will worship you, God, because you deserve our praise. In Jesus' name, amen.